Welcome, everyone, to the Tuesday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host, Tyler Crawley. And as always, we are on every major podcasting platform, or at least the big ones, the ones that matter. Go there, find us there, listen, leave us a nice review. It's really all that we ask for. So I do have to start by apologizing for my absence. I have no excuse other than I just have not gotten the podcast into my routine yet. Once I do, we'll be good. We'll be good to go. Same thing happened with the newsletter. I just got to get it into the routine and just get it down. And then I do not, I never miss it. I don't, I don't miss it. I've missed a day. I think really kind of all year, except for some tech hiccups and then maybe once or twice, but I've been very happy with my progress on the newsletter and I'm still working on the podcast. So I do apologize for the absence. Hopefully that will not happen again. Lot to get to. Um, we could do an hour podcast with all the stories that have happened over the past week, but I do want to stick to some of the current ones because that is the purpose of this podcast. And I have to start with the story yesterday in Axios. Axios Business, I believe, by Felix Salmon. And I feel vindication is what I feel because if you've been listening to this podcast, if you've been getting the newsletter, obviously the newsletter I've been doing longer, so I've been talking about it longer there. I have been arguing, and this is not, this was not my brilliant idea. I, I, I will give credit where credit is due. I think Redfin back in December, when we were really kind of, we were starting to see things heat up in the housing market, and there was all this concern about people in these forbearance programs that there could be a foreclosure crisis. And Redfin just did some basic math, and they said, okay, here's how many houses were short, here's how many houses potentially could be in foreclosure. And we're good. We're good. We, we, we need these houses. In fact, a massive foreclosure wouldn't even be that bad. And I remember reading that and I said, that makes a lot of sense. And things have only gotten worse. The inventory has become a bigger problem, even though things have gotten a little better. But things have only gotten more ridiculous with the inventory situation. And so I've been very confused by all these people, policymakers, journalists, whatever it may be. Crash bros, of course, they're always predicting, here comes here comes the crash, that there's going to be some foreclosure crisis that's going to crash the housing market. And I've been saying, no, the data doesn't make sense. And finally, somebody in a major outlet says that. Felix Salmon over at Axios basically says that concerns about a foreclosure crisis and the impacts on the housing market are waning. And the argument that he makes is the one that we've been making right here on this podcast, on the newsletter, that one, we need those houses. If we did see the right now, there's two, I think actually the latest numbers yesterday from the Mortgage Bankers Association, still 2.1 million homeowners, but uh, the homeowners in forbearance programs decreased slightly two basis points to 4.18%. That came out Monday afternoon. And that means there's about 2.1 million homeowners in forbearance. Now, as you all know, we've talked about it many times. Freddie Mac estimates that we are, what, 4 million houses short? That our housing, the housing market needs 4 million across the country? So that's half of, so if every person in forbearance goes into foreclosure, then we'd reach half of the, of the housing inventory that we need to meet demand. So how in the world could that cause a domino, you know, a collapse of the housing market? It doesn't make any sense. And I will point out that Sam did a good job in this piece over at Axios 
arguing that even if you look at the people who are in the forbearance programs, a lot of them have positive equity. Remember the big crash of 2008, the reason it was a problem is because people were underwater. They were borrowing money to buy homes. The homes lost value, or in some cases, they never even had the value. They were getting 100, 110% borrowing to buy a house, assuming that there would be appreciation. And that was just a recipe for disaster, as we all know. And so what Sam is arguing is, listen, a lot of these houses have equity. And in fact, a lot of people that have left the forbearance program, they've either found a way to make payments, they've refinanced to, to lower their payments, or they got out of their house and they actually made money on the sale. And so credit to Felix Salmon over at Axios for saying what we've been saying for over six months. This is December. So right when the newsletter started, I was one of those that was saying, listen, do not worry about the forbearance programs and a foreclosure apocalypse. It is not going to happen. Glad to see that everyone in the mainstream media seems to be catching on. They'll get there eventually. See, if you listen to this podcast, you get the newsletter, you're way ahead of everybody else. So I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. Just letting you know, <laughs> it's not me. It's not me. It's just what I'm reading and the things that I find interesting and say, hey, that makes a lot of sense. I'm going to tell you about it. I'm going to link to it in the newsletter. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. So I just wanted to get to that. That was in uh, Monday morning's newsletter. I felt some vindication there. So what are the big stories? What happened yesterday? We got a lot going on. Big one was home prices. Of course, this number just keeps jumping up. It's like, oh my goodness, 10%. First, we were excited about double digits. And now it's how high can it go? Well, we got the biggest number yesterday from Black Knight Mortgage Monitor Report. Their latest, and according to their numbers, home prices jumped 14.8% in April on an annualized basis. This is the biggest increase recorded since Black Knight began tracking this metric in the mid-90s. It's a big number. 15% year over year, that is... That's a big number any way you look at it. Uh, of course, leading the charge, single-family homes saw the biggest jump, 15.6%. Condos, bringing up the rear, though, they were at 10%. <laughs> so they were even in double digits. This was the 17th consecutive month of home price increases. And I'll give you one guess. What was the cause or what is the reasoning behind the increase in home prices Inventory, the number of active for sale listings were down 53% in April from the same time last year and 60% off the 2017-2019 average. So I like that number because we all know that 2020 was a weird year. So we have the sort of base effect where can you really compare it to what was going on last year at the same time? So what they're saying is this is 60% down 60% from what we were seeing in 2017, 2018, and 2019. Black Knight argues there is a de deficit of nearly 750,000 available homes for sale. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, no, they're pricing people out of the market. And that's true. That is happening. But there was some actually good data. Black Knight found that it takes 20.5% of the median income to make monthly payments on the median priced home. Now, this is higher than the five-year average. But, and this is important, it is still lower than the 25-year average. So these low interest rates are still kind of 
blunt or is it blunting? Yeah, blunting, not bunting, blunting <laughs> the effects of rising home prices. Now, that's not going to last because, as we all know, mortgage rates are probably going to go up. Um, we've once again last week we saw the numbers stay under three percent on average, according to Freddie Mac. But everyone knows that at some point mortgage rates are going to go up, and with inventory levels still at historic lows you are going to start seeing people priced out of the market. But it is interesting that all of this hype, all of this concern on a 25-year average, homes are still affordable, more affordable when you look at it on a 25-year average. So it's not all bad news. So don't, once again, do not believe all of these, what do you, what do you want to call them? Um, you know, scary articles, scary headlines, the mainstream media trying to tell you, oh no, the housing market's in a horrible place. Regular people can't buy houses. Actually, on a, from a 25-year perspective, things are better. So don't believe the hype. Don't believe it. That's what I'm here for, to help you out. Tell you what's actually going on, not what... Not what, the, uh, not what the headlines want you to think that's happening. And here's something that's very interesting. There was a piece over at Vox. Now, Vox, many will know, is a political website. Def- definitely leans to the left. There is no doubt about that. But this was an interesting piece written by Jerusalem Dimsa or Dimsast. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce the last name. And if I keep trying to say it, I'm going to butcher it worse and worse. But she wrote this piece and it gets into the major arguments about, well, we're not actually in a bubble. You know, or I should say, are we in a bubble such as, oh, look at the housing prices. They're skyrocketing. But then, of course, the counter argument that, well, I mean, this is all based on basic economics. There's just the inventory is not there. And so housing prices are shooting up, but it's not like what we saw in 2008, not anything close to that. But here's what was really fascinating to me because people always wonder, what are these issues that could bring both the right and left together? And I know this isn't a political podcast, even though I used to do politics, but to me, this was a fascinating argument because here is a left-leaning publication that you would think would be like, oh, well, here's how you solve the problem. We need to you know, have more affordable housing. The government needs to demand that more houses be rent controlled and some of these other horrible policies that have existed out there. But this is the argue that, argument that Jerusalem makes here in the piece. She says, quote, there aren't enough homes to meet the demand for would-be homeowners. And there aren't enough homes to meet the demand for renters. The U.S. needs to build enough housing to support the number of people who need a place to live. And to do that, it needs to change local zoning laws that seek to prop up current homeowner investments by preventing more dense housing from being built. If it doesn't, prices will continue to rise. Perfection. 100% correct. This is supply and demand. Why is housing expensive? There's not a lot of it. We get more housing, prices will fall. (laughs) And I am so happy that this argument is coming from Vox because this is something that the right and the left can get on board with. This is something that I want to see happen across the country. I want these horrible zoning laws that exist. I want all of these 
organizations out there, these historic commissions and everything else that do everything in their power to try and stop development to be defeated by the masses, the majority to rise up and say, you need to stop what you're doing because you are hurting poor people. You are hurting middle-class people, working-class people, whatever you want to say. They are the ones that are getting hurt by these laws that make it more difficult to build affordable housing. And I know what you're going to say, well, Tyler, every time they pass a permit somewhere, they build luxury housing. Yes, but the more luxury housing that gets built, what ends up happening is, is the previous luxury housing becomes more affordable, and then the previous, previous luxury housing becomes affordable housing. So what you're doing is you're actually helping working class people because they will live in better accommodations because everything kind of shifts. That's what ends up happening. That's why it doesn't matter what they're building. If it's luxury, affordable, whatever it is, we just need them to build. (laughs) It will benefit everyone. Trust me, we just need more supply. It is that simple. We just need more supply. And so I'm hoping that that ends up happening. I'm hoping we can get that done. And I think we can. I am very optimistic about that. Now, I will tell you someone who is not optimistic, uh, unfortunately, home buyers. Before we uh, have to wrap things up and call it a morning, there is a uh, the monthly report from Fannie Mae, the Home Purchase Sentiment Index, was flat in May. So that was you know, kind of good news, not too much change. I mean, obviously, you'd like to see it more positive. There are a lot of uh, indicators that go into this, but it was pretty much flat. It rose one point month over month to 80 and is up 12.5 points compared to the same time last year. Now, there are a lot of components that make up this index, but this is the troubling aspect of this home purchase sentiment index. Respondents who say it is a good time to buy decreased from 47% to 35%. That's a 12-point drop. Respondents who said it's a bad time to buy increased from 48% to 56%. So it went from a plurality to a majority, and that was a 20-point swing when you take both those numbers into account. So pessimism, unfortunately, and I'll I'll tell you why. Not only are people having to deal with this low inventory situation where they'll put an offer in, they lose, they put another offer in, they lose, and they're, you know, they're losing out on bids and these bidding wards, very stressful. But then you have all these headlines out there, as we started the podcast talking about, telling you how bad it is, how horrible it is out there. And so people, they start feeling that way. They then get involved. Maybe they lose a house. They lose you know, one or two bidding wars, and it just sort of magnifies. It multiplies and they get more and more pessimistic. And so, yeah, I do think the media is playing a role in this, but also it's just the reality of the situation. It is difficult right now to be a home buyer. There is no doubt about that. And as I mentioned, we have seen some data recently that says, hey, things are getting better. We are seeing a little bit more inventory and let's hope that number turns around next month. But uh, as optimistic as I like to be, I don't blame some home buyers out there for that sort of pessimism index kind of rising on us. I, I, I don't blame them. It, I, it, it is hard out there. I think the media, is it helping 
But there's no doubt that even if without the media, people still, you know, you lose a couple of bidding wars, you're not going to be happy. You're definitely going to be like, that's it. I'm not looking. We're not moving. And there was actually a good piece over the weekend in the Wall Street Journal about how this hot housing market is really disrupting the sort of housing flow that it naturally exists. You know, first time home buyers, then move into a bigger home. They stay there for, you know, X amount of years. Their kids go off to college, they go, you know, find jobs, they move out and then they become empty nesters and they move into a smaller home. And that's sort of the cycle of life with regards to housing has really kind of come to a halt because even though homeowners and maybe in their starter home are like, whoa, I can get another hundred thousand dollars for selling this home. They're like, yeah, but now we, we can't afford that next home, that bigger home. And so that's causing problems. And then you have some empty nesters who are sitting there going, well, I mean, if we sell this house and move into a smaller one, our mortgage payment pretty much stays the same because the the smaller home now is more expensive. And so it is disrupting things right now. There is no doubt about that. So like I said, being a home buyer right now or a potential home buyer, I don't blame some of the pessimism that exists out there. All right, we got to go. You guys enjoy your Tuesday. I promise I will be talking to you on Wednesday morning. And as always, do not wait to buy real estate buy real estate and wait.